Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, runners only, kid, kid, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, any way you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, kid, kid, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, any way you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, runners only with Dom Harvey. Runners only with Dom Harvey, and I'm sitting in the uh, Ryman Murray Halberg retirement village with one of Murray Halberg's good mates, an absolute legend of New Zealand running from a golden era, Barry McGee. Hello. Hello, Dom. Come on, get in nice and close. Hi there. Oh, all right. What an honour to be in your presence, sir. 1960 Olympic Games in Rome. The Arthur Liddy had coached athletes, um, yourself, Murray Halberg, and Peter Snell all, all won. It's uh, just an incredible chapter in New Zealand history. There's so much I want to chat about with you today. We'll get to you, um, the amazing relationship with the amazing coach Arthur Lydiard later. But first of all, um, take us back to 1960, the, the Rome Olympics. First of all, how, how do you get there? You, you fly there? You go on the boat? How do you <laughs> you fly there, right? Well, thank thank God we yeah, we flew there <laughs> because um, when when guys like us at the time we read all the stories, the previous Olympics of the Helsinki Olympics, everything often they're in in for a five or six week boat cruise. Mm. And you know the runners lost half their fitness, <laughs> and this this was it was a, a lucky dip virtually whether they could compete well or do when they got there. Now we we did flu, um, yeah, we did flu, and we had Boeing's or super constellations and things at the time. It's so, and it's so hot in Rome that the um, the marathon started when it was late late in the day, wasn't it? Well, the marathon, yes, it's an interesting story of the marathon. Um, every. If we were in Rome four weeks for the Great Olympics of Rome, and um, when Snell and Halberg within one hour um, did something the world had never seen before, winning two gold medals from a little country of two million people. But every day the temperature was something like twenty-eight degrees every day. Mm. But it was what well, was beautiful Mediterranean heat. That was the difference. It wasn't humid heat like right. Auckland has. We have humid heat in Auckland, but it was beautiful heat. But it was hot, hot. Mm. And um, the thing was, of course, um, it was hot. Uh, now, the week before the marathon was the 150-mile cycle race. Now, one rider dropped dead during the race, probably with the heat. Uh, the suspicions around the village was that he had probably also on drugs. Right, were they were performance enhancing drugs a thing even back then in the nineteen sixty? Really? Absolutely. Yes, oh. they were. Yeah. I mean some of those Russian women and that they had more hair than you have. <laughs> 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 I mean that yeah, the male steroids and um, yes. I don't know if EBO was around in yeah. those days, but yeah, oh no. This this was part of the part, yeah, drugs drugs were right. And um in Eastern Europe particularly. Yeah, I have never seen a drug in my lifetime. So I, I competed for 54 years as a runner. 
I've never seen one, mm. but they were everywhere. But because of that cyclist, all the marathon managers or the athletic managers of probably 50 countries in the world uh, went and protested and said, we will have a run or die if you're going to race them at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in, in Rome. Mm. In the heat, heat of the day, yeah. The heat, yeah, 2 o'clock. It was, it was 28 degrees and um, hot, hot. So they shifted the time till 5 o'clock. Now, at 5 o'clock, and at that time of the year, uh, September, in, in Italy, it got dark about 6.30. <laughs> so um, we, we knew we were going to be running half the race in the dark, and I can tell you it's very hard to see Africans in the dark. <laughs> yeah, that's an honest <laughs> statement. But, um, but anyway, they, they convinced the officials, the Olympic officials, yes, no, we will change it. We'll change it to them. Um, Five o'clock and make it cooler because it, it was more like 18 degrees only or 20 degrees or 22 degrees often at that time of the day or whatever yeah. it might be. And um, yeah, and so, but every day we had about 30 days in Rome and 29 of them uh, was 28 degrees. The interesting thing was the day of the marathon it was 23. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> so, what are the chances there? Right, so so the so the run starts um, starts five pm. What um, it gets dark at six thirty. So yep. how, how long did it take you? What was your time? Th- two two hours seventeen. Two hours yeah, seventeen. I, so I the did. last forty five minutes are in uh, uh, like pitch dark, pitch dark. or pitch dark, right, right. pitch dark, and the and the last ten k is down called Via Appia, which in Kiwi language is the Appian Way. Appian that goes right down and you know, from way out ten k out um, down into into uh, the city of Rome. And um, it's very, very spectacular because mm. you ran past the Colosseum, you ran, you know, oh, and, and all the famous things that we found, all yeah. the famous parts yeah. of Rome. It's a very historical city. Um, but yeah, but, but the thing was, there's no street lights in the Appian Way. <laughs> None whatsoever. And every, about every, every, every kilometre, there would be a hundred metres of cobblestones. Cobblestones are terrible to run on. Mm. They're raised about, they go curves about three inches high, or whatever, you know, five, six centimetres high. And, uh, with, but the thing is, what they had done to try and counter this, um, they had Roman soldiers posted for 10k about every hundred metres down on each side of the road with a flaming torch. So it was quite spectacular, right? So that's not going to give you much um, light to see where you're going, but you, you can just see, you, it, you know, the route you're taking. Virtually, it was virtually no, very little yeah, light. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. It was like running you know, just a bit, nearly pitch dark, but it was dark. You could just see the road in front of you. But the thing is, on the cobblestones, you couldn't see the cobblestones on the razor. Um, I think I prayed all the way every time I hit it. <laughs> you know? Did you have to? Did you have yeah. to like um like change your gait or anything to? Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I shortened. I, I halved the stride every time mm. we hit the cobblestone. But I was chasing um, Radi and and Bikir, Abibi Bikila, the um, who ended up as gold and silver medalists. And, was he um, the barefoot runner? Yeah. The yeah. winner was yeah. a barefoot runner. So it was a historic. Historical marathon, in, in the fact that um, was the first African to ever win a gold medal in um, athletics, um, and the first 
athlete to ever win a marathon, uh, win a race in bare feet in in Olympics. Yeah, that can't have been nice on the cobbles. And uh, yeah, that Rome Olympic marathon is rated about the second or third greatest marathon of the century. Mm. And um, so um, I feel encased in history, really. So, what place were you in when it got when it got dark? When when you finally lost light? Um, well, well, I started I started the race very conservatively. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, you know, a distance runner in his early days, he goes out and the gun goes and he goes. <laughs> so, uh, but along the way, you learn some very hard lessons. Um, it's not how you start that counts, <laughs> it's how you finish. Yeah. So I started very conservatively. Um, I don't know, there's 60 or 70 in the race, and it's probably at halfway. I was probably about 20th. Right. Um, wow. About 20th. <sighs> And that, but the thing was, I was moving through, mm-hmm. you know, and and then I was up to about tenth, and then by the time we hit thirty k, thirty k mark, um, so it was still light then. Or was, um, it was dark no, then. No, it was dark okay. by then at yeah. the thirty k mark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Russian champion who had run the fastest marathon in the world, Popov. Um, yeah, he, he caught. He caught. Yeah, Julian and Puckett and McGee up at about the I don't know about the fifteen k or twelve k mark, perhaps the twelve k mark. I said to I said to Puckett and Julian, I said we've got to go with this bunch, and, and um, I didn't have a clue who they were, but there was about six guys that just went straight past us, mm. so we jumped on the back of them, and that made about a bunch of about nine, but that nine became eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, two. And by the time we got to about 30, 32K, there was only only one guy with me, and I looked at his singlet, I could see he was a Russian, <laughs> and I found out after his pop-off, he was one of the race favourites, yeah. and uh, fastest marathon runner in the world or something that year. And, um, yeah, and it was just him and I. And then there was this drink station came up just as we turned the Appian Way, and <clears throat> he veered to grab a drink off the drink table because there was water and there was Coke or something. You know, there were <laughs> several drinks that you could have a selection of. and um, yeah. So he he beard and I sprinted. <laughs> 10K to go. <laughs> I took off and um, thought, I, don't know, I just did it. You were feeling yes, good? I, yes, I was feeling yeah, good. Yeah. What I'd done um, up to that stage, I was in control because I call you know, the secret of success really is control, control, control. Yeah. If you lose it too early or too fast too early, uh, you blow up, and, and once you're blowing up, you're gone, yeah. and it's history. So, um, no, so I started my run at ten at ten k to go, and that was so that was the best thing I could have done. What I didn't know was what place I was in. See, they, every five k, wow. all the officials were yeah. out there calling times in Italian. <laughs> You know, we had no such thing as a digital watch in, yeah, of course. in those yeah, no days. GPS. I looked at my watch, you know, and I could see it was twenty past six or something, <laughs> because there's no no other watches in the world in those days. But I didn't know where I was, um, and so I just I just put my head down and I went for it. Every now and again, I'd see flash bulbs going up ahead. I thought that's a good sign because that could be the leaders that mm. were up there. True. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's the and that's the way. And I just kept going and kept going, and um, I managed to get up there. But then so, you, so, you, so when you finished, you 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 weren't aware that you'd won bronze, but you must have thought you were there or thereabouts. 
Yeah, I had no idea yeah. what place I was in because, you know, the thing is because it was dark, they'd banned all spectators from the course. So there was no one you could yell out to along the course. And all these officials, so they called you times every 5K in, in Italian. That didn't help. <laughs> and so you couldn't talk to them and say, what, where I, what place am I in, you know, as you went past those uh, the drink stations. So no, I, I never never had a clue. Um, so I had no idea when I crossed the finishing line where I was. And all of a sudden, you know, there was a big about two meter guy um, beside me um, who jumped over a barrier, raced out, and he must have been I don't know if he's a hockey player or a New Zealand rower. And he slapped me on the back. He said, "Well done, Barry. Well done. You've done great. That's good. That's good." I said, "Where am I?" <laughs> and he looked at me, if I was a bit stupid, and said, Barry, you've finished. You've finished. It's okay. Oh, he there. thought you were delirious. Or he, he thought I was a bit delirious. Right, right. Where am I? <laughs> you know, you're at the finish of the Olympic marathon, Barry, was his thinking. My thinking was, where am I? Well, I'm to this place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there was <laughs> a, a silence of about 20 seconds. He looked at me, put his, he'd give me a hug, and Barry, you've just got the bronze. Congratulations. Well, I've got, I've got goosebumps. I, I, I probably had a tear in my eye at that time. Really? It, yeah. it, it was yeah. um, because it was, thank goodness, it's like you would know the relief that you feel when you've achieved or done something mm. or as compared to failure. Mm. You know, we've all been through failure. Mm. Were you a medal hopeful, do you think, at the start line when <laughs> leading up to it? What was your expectation? Yeah, I probably wasn't. Rated in the first 20. Yeah, really? For world. Wow. World's rankings of world class here, world standing. The, the year before, so 1959, I think that's when you made your marathon debut and it was like 2 hours 30 or 2 hours 31. About 2.36. Yeah. How, yeah, <laughs> 2.36. How, how did you lose 20 minutes in a year? Training. <laughs> Just training. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Lydia knew everything. Mm. It was the difference. We had the greatest coach in the world. That's proved by Snell and Halberg. Mm. And... Um, Two, you know, two absolute champions mm. who um, they're incomparable still yeah. today. You've no idea how great Snell. Yeah, um, like about four years ago when Snell was in New Zealand um, and he gave some medals to Te Papa, um, he publicly thanked me in front of a hundred people. I think I had tears that day, and he put his arm around me, standing there with a the microphone, and said, "This is the man that made." my gold medals possible because he did the 100 miles a week with me when I had to do the work. I went mm. to his home every night. And uh, that was a very nice compliment. Mm. But Snell, as you know, was the athlete of the century for New Zealand. I mean, you know, I wasn't worthy to tie up their shoelaces. Oh, come on, come on. No, no, honestly, no, there's no comparison. No other athlete in the history. Perhaps there's Valerie Adams getting close and... Lisa you know, Carrington, the great love yeah. locks and the great the great people of history, and mm. you know three Olympic gold medals, two Commonwealth gold medals, mm. and seven world records for Snell. Mm. And I mean Halberg, Halberg today would be running in the disabled games with his crippled arm. He only, he only had one arm that worked properly, and that with it because of a football accident when he was fifteen. Yeah. You know that was that withered arm. And our first trip away. In New Zealand and in the Auckland rep team for cross country, we cut up his, we cut up his meat for him and tied his running shoes on. That's what we had to. That was that, and at Halberg, 
is that being an overcomer? You can mm. see, you know, to me he is just about the greatest athlete ever. That's yeah. where he rates with me. So it, it's incredible honour in a way that I'm even living in, in a village named after him. Because mm. when we came here into this village, it had no name. Mm. <laughs> it had no name. Well, the, um, the, Barry, the funny thing for me is um, there's, a, there's a block here in this retirement village, the Murray yeah. Hubbard village, um, that's named after you. But you're not, even, you're not living in your own block. <laughs> um, I had to do some fast talking because <laughs> they said, Barry, um, you're, you're going to be one of the first tenants in the village. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but they just, see, the thing is, it wasn't called by any name when mm-hmm. we came in, it was a street name. Uh, when we came, we, we bought it off a plan and it had no, no real name whatsoever. Um, but then they came to see me after we'd been here about six months and said, we're naming your village. And we're calling it the Murray Halberg village. And um, we think, and you are one of the people that have been, that told us about um, where we're going to have them named, the blocks of the apartment blocks are going to be named after athletes to tie in with Lydiard and Halberg, mm. etc. Now, um, it, it would be fine with you, wouldn't it, if we named your block the McGee block, and I said, no. Why? <laughs> why, why, why I, said, I said, there's 40 apartments in this block, and I don't want 39 people complaining and moaning to me. Every time I see them, <laughs> I'm living in my block. And so I said, no, you name another block if you want to after me. And I, I said, thank you, but no thank you. And uh, so I turned down that offer. Well, I've got, a, I've got a far bigger <laughs> ego than you. I would have been okay with it. <laughs> you have a Harvey block? <laughs> oh, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so right. now I, I know um, yep. th- this is this is this is your podcast and your story, but um, um, I feel like um, yeah, we need like a, a hat tip to um, Arthur Lydiard. I, I feel like he um, in running circles, everyone knows who Arthur Lydiard is. But outside of that, I think if you ask most New Zealanders, they they probably wouldn't know the name. It, it, I mean, the man's an absolute it is, legend. It is criminal. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a very sad story, you know, with Lydia that he never got the recognition really yeah. in New Zealand. Um, well, he got some recognition at the time he was about 60. Yeah. <laughs> about 60. But when he's going through the highlight years or the great years, mm. um, he, he had problems with the administration of New Zealand and um, they more or less said, um, no upstart coach is going to tell us what to do. So that was Wellington and the administration. Right. They weren't happy with Lydiard because he called a spade a spade. He called a fool a fool. And uh, he could he organised the Agfa Tour, the Rothmans Tours of New Zealand. He, he did the whole lot himself. He could do anything. How was, it, was there a tour called the Rothmans Tour? Well, the first, the first tour was the Rothmans Tour. <laughs> That's when the Olympic champions came, world record holders right, came, right. and Lydiard arranged it all. Did he ever get some of the sponsor's product? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, see, at the time, um, some of them were working for right. Rothmans. We had Bert Sutcliffe. Right. We had Don Clark. We had the great footballers. The great, they employed everyone. Not that they had to work for Rothmans. Mm. They were just goodwill agents going around the country, helping with schools and helping with sport all over the country in the Rothman cars. That's hilarious. <laughs> so that was the That's advertising. Yeah, because that amazing. Was they had the money, the tobacco companies. <laughs> yes. So, so how, how old were you when you met Arthur Lydiard? How did, how did that come about? I was 17. 17, okay. I was 17. I had a coach. I joined the Wesley Harrier Club when I was 15 in Auckland, uh, which was the Methodist oh. Club of Auckland, yeah. connected with Bible classes and that. And I went to this Methodist church, a Methodist Bible class, and one of the guys said, because um, well, I was playing rugby at the time, 
And uh, I hurt my finger, had to have a splint for six weeks. So it was purely sort of like by an accident. Um, this Bible class manager of mine said, Barry, come along and have a run for the Harriers on Saturday because we're going to have a run from our church. And he said, what's more, the Bible class girls are going to put on afternoon tea and some <laughs> of them are pretty neat. So I'm not sure if it was the run the, or the afternoon tea Probably most probably the girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> at 15, I was just starting to take an interest that they mm. weren't as bad as sometimes their reputation yeah. straight out for some of the boys. So I went and had my first run, never played another game of rugby in mm. my life again. But so it was, and so that began. And so that was 15, 17. The club captain was also my coach. He said, Barry, I think I should pass you on to another man to help you I think you have some potential. I would like to introduce you to a man called Arthur Liddid who runs for Iwaraka, and um, if he will take you on, that would be good. And the rest is history. Mm. So it's 17. So what year was that? It was 1951. Right. 1951. Uh, I'm 87 now. And I was 51. I'll be 88 in in two weeks' time. But... um, yeah, so he said, come and see me tomorrow. I mean, the first, when I was introduced to him, it was in Hamilton. We'd just raced around the bridges, road race, and he'd run in the seniors and I'd run in the juniors. And I was introduced to him. And um, he looked at me as if I, because he's only about five foot seven, I suppose, and I was gigantic five foot eight and a half. But he looked at me and said, son, he's prepared to run 100 miles a week. At 17. Yeah, 17. Mm. If not, tell me now, because you're wasting your time and mine, if you're not. Well, I can't remember answering him. What I know is the next day, Sunday afternoon, I was sitting at his kitchen table. Well, he he was writing out my first training schedule, which was 100 miles a week of 160k a week. 160k a week at 17, and that's what we all did. What did your um, What did your parents have to say about that? Well... Um, <laughs> Well, the inter- uh, well, um, yeah, I've got to be careful here. Okay. Um, um, at the time when I met Lydia, my dad was lying in hospital dying from a work accident. I lost my dad at 17, and um, still, I can still feel it. Um, it was painful, and the fact that he never saw me have one race mm. in my lifetime. Yeah, he was in Auckland Hospital about two months. Um, an accident had paralysed his back, and he lay there for two months in the Auckland Hospital, and then passed away when I was seventeen. Um, and at that time was the very time that I met Lydia. It was the very time I changed my job, also. Right. And the interesting thing was that Lydia and my new boss. I was a force, I was a grocer at the time, <laughs> a grocery boy, or in a, working in grocery shops. They both told my mum, "We will help you look after Barry." Oh, I mean, and that carried on for our lifetimes or their lifetimes. Mm. So, in, in a sense, do you think um, Arthur to you is like um, not just a coach, but like, like a, uh, I suppose, like a father figure? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, he was. He was yeah. sort of to all of us in a way. Yeah, his home was open home. Mm. We could call him day or night. He was a married man with four children, mm. and he worked a full-time job. He was yeah. foreman in a shoe factory, and yet he had always had time for the runners. Mm. Sometimes you, well, if you were 
sowing potatoes in his garden on a Saturday afternoon when you called in. <laughs> yep, that's fine. Come and talk to me, Barry. Mm. Yeah, and he wouldn't stop. <laughs> He'd just keep digging or planting his potatoes, mm. but he, ne- he always gave you what you wanted or needed. Yeah. And um, he was a master of psychology. <laughs> was he? How do you mean? Oh, well, in fact, he knew, like a good school teacher should, how to handle every type of runner that he was looking after. Mm. So, <clears throat> right. I mean, Halberg would tell told me 20 years later after he'd all retired, he said, I'd go round to the coach's house, he said, and the coach would look at me, <coughs> Lydia, Arthur would look at me and he'd say, Murray, <coughs> did you see what Barry did in his training last week? He did a three-mile time trial and this, this, this. And Murray said, did he? Yeah, and Arthur would say, yes, Murray, you've got to watch your back. This guy <laughs> is coming, he, he, he's improving all yeah. the time. Murray said, I'd go home, put my shoes on and go for an extra run that day. Such was the, see, this is psychology. Lydia does a master How psychology. good. <laughs> How good. So, um, I mean, obviously, like a, an incredible coach. Um, yeah. First of all, like, in terms of natural talent, how naturally talented were you three boys? There must have been like a, a fair bit of natural talent there. Was there? Well, no, was it just hard work? It's hard to rate this potential of natural talent. Mm. Um, yeah, Snell, Snell had outstanding natural talent. Yeah. Um, it's only going to get you so far, though, isn't it? Yeah, only so far. That's right. Mm. But um, he had to, But the thing is, by 23 years with Liddy, at age 20, you know, he wins an Olympic championship. Mm. Yeah. This was the potential he had. But the thing is, for, you know, it depends what you're natural. Um, it's hard to compare. Nick Willis... When he was eighteen, could run a four-one mile. Snell at eighteen could run a four-twenty-one mile. So, the bulk of what Snell ended up being and doing was made by Lydia. Right. Like the people like Willis are what I call naturals. Mm-hmm. Halberg was an, a sort of partly natural and partly just about supernatural. Yeah. When he had that accident with the arm, he was. When he came back, because see, if they hadn't have operated and they took out two litres quart blood, um, clot of blood out of his shoulder, he would oh. have been dead. But he came back with a fighting spirit that is beyond human. Mm. Nobody. He was invincible in the spirit, in the mind. Right, right. And nobody, oh. yeah. And it was even greater than Snell's there. So the spirit, oh, he never... It was it was it was beyond human. Mm. And if you read a lot of history of champions, somehow they've overcome <coughs> difficulties that most of us have never faced in our mm. life. But they have a spirit that's unbeatable. It's over their dead body, and they they, you know, we we give sort of a hundred percent in the race. They give about a hundred and ten. But Halberg, mm. that's but Halberg and Snell were just um, they they deserve everything they have got in <laughs> accolades or. Yeah, yeah, it was. But Halberg has got had the mental capacity that, wow, I was like unbelievable. But, but the thing is, like anyone, anyone, um, first of all, that's good enough to get to Olympic level, yeah. let alone yeah, become a medalist. I think you all must have um, like a certain level of mental toughness or mental tenacity. And the fact that you sitting here talking about Halberg <laughs> that way, all of Arthur's mm. boys got it. Everyone he coached, yeah, they 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 got mental because that's what he taught. That's what he taught. Um, if someone pulled out of a race, they didn't contact Lydia for three weeks. They were too scared to. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> because Wait, well, that was failure. Right. That was failure. And what, um, 
What would he would he tell you off or <laughs> like why were you why were you scared to talk I'll to take, him? I think you'd get a lecture, right? Okay, you'd, you'd get a lecture because um and and yeah, you know, one of my quotes to all of my runners, I coach about thirty runners in New Zealand and all around the world, and um, I'll quote, yeah, every winner is a finisher, and every finisher is a winner. Right. If you finish the race, even if it's last place, I'll tell my runners I'll be the first to bat you pat you on the back and congratulate you for finishing the race. Right. Because to give in and give up, that in Lydia's ways was failure. Right. And that's what he taught us. Yeah. And um, often, you know, races, we got first, second and third, his boys. Mm. In fact, Lydia was, I mean, how good he was is you only got to look at the results uh, right through the 1950s or, or a 10-year period of athletics in New Zealand in the 50s, 60s, 10-year mm. period. Um, where every New Zealand championship, there was five gold medals up for grabs, what we'd call these days the 800, 1500, 5000, 10,000 marathon. Arthur's boys won 45 of the 50 in 10 years. Remarkable. We absolutely dominated. Yeah. Do you think as well as the um, coaching of um, Arthur Lydia, that was um, the competitiveness of, of you, know, you three guys in particular, uh, like pushing each other, Did that, that, that must have played a part to the success as well? Um, yeah. I raced Halberg, I suppose, from the age of 17 to 30, mm-hmm. probably about 100 times. Right. The score was 92 to 8. Mm. And I'll guess, you guess who who won the 90? <laughs> <laughs> the 92. <laughs> so he, he had eight off days. <laughs> he had eight off days. I'm sorry, that's me. Or a sore toe yeah. or had the cold or something. But I never had the satisfaction. And... Um, I did some great races overseas in internationals and um, first New Zealander to win an international marathon for the Fukuoka yeah. in Japan. Um, no Halberg, no, 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 no Bailey, no Stell, no Puckett, no... no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so you'd go out and, <laughs> and it, was so, it was so wonderful to get away from them. <laughs> I, could, I could start in an Auckland Championship and get fifth. Yeah. <laughs> I could go to Japan and win. <laughs> That's incredible. And um, yes, speaking of that, so it's, um, it was a very different era. So you mentioned before that you were you're working at Foursquare. So when you went to the Olympics and to Japan, um, you, you, that was on your own money, right? You, you had to oh. take time off work, get bank loans. Well... <laughs> Um, you'll make me cry. <laughs> I never earned one dollar in my fifty-four years of running. Not one dollar. Every time, every games team I went, I had to go to the bank manager, cap in hand, and borrow money that I could pay bills while I was away. Or then, because I'd been times for me happening. So I, I tried for the Commonwealth Games in Canada, and I failed. Mm. I tried for the Olympic Games in, in um, Melbourne, and I failed. It was my third, third games I got there with Cardiff for the Commonwealth Games, uh-huh. and then two years after that, the Olympic Games. So it wasn't um, like Halberg, he, he, you know, he was in both of them. <laughs> yeah. So um, here he is, he about four months older than me, but he'd done two games before I'd even started. Um, such what he, he had that much more ability and he had that much more speed. Mm. I never had speed. Yeah. Lydia had said Barry's gift was a beautiful, relaxed style. He, um, yeah, didn't he call you? I was going to ask you about this. He called you like the ballet dancer of the road or something. That's right. What did that mean? Well, he, he said Barry is effortless. Barry is tireless. He right. could run all day. And he, and he said that's a gift that Barry has. He has this effortless style, and that's his natural. Mm. 
He said, because sometimes you, you've got to try and change their style a bit because they're all hunched up in the shoulders mm. or they're mm. not relaxed, or, you know. But um, now, Barry, he said, that was my gifting, was my naturalness because right. I, I couldn't, oh, yeah, they could thrash me in speed work and stuff, Snell and Halwerg's. Um, oh, come on, you're being, my, you're, you're, being, you're being very modest here. I mean, you, oh, weren't, no, they you weren't exactly a tortoise. They, they could. Oh, no. No, there was no different, no comparison that with it. See, um, yeah, Snell could run 200 metres in, in, in about 22 seconds. Uh, Halberg could run 23 seconds. Barry was 25 seconds. <laughs> See, so... Yeah, it's still... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Last 200 meters in any race with Halberg, Halberg would put three or four or four seconds on me every time because it was down to natural speed. Mm. So, yeah, so that was why it was so hopeless, see, because mm. he got as strong as I was. See, I got strong because of my marathon training and everything. That's what made Barry. It's interesting, the, the more marathons I ran, the faster I got over 1,500 metres, mm. 3,000 metres and 5,000 metres and 10,000 yeah. metres. So your speed comes from stamina training. Mm. That's that's one of the Lydia principles. Yeah, so so, work. so those um those hundred miles a week, like what sort of what sort of pace was that done at? How was it just like running as you feel, or no, oh were no. you guys pushing the pace? Very with specific. Each? No, Lydia was right. very specific. You ran you ran different days. Like Monday was ten miles. Tuesday fifteen miles. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> today you'd run like that sixteen k and thirty k and yeah and twenty k and thirty k. And with forty, yeah, with yeah, weekend long Waitarua over the white tax thirty, <clears throat> about thirty five k, which is twenty two miles in those days, all hundred percent aerobic running, which means running within yourself. Right, that was the key. You did eight weeks of running of getting strong, nothing else. You didn't train for speed whatsoever, wow. um, but there was no jogging in that virtually. No jogging. It was all specific. Efforts and training, quarter right. effort, half effort, three quarter effort, and um, I suppose you. I suppose you had to sort of do it that way because um, yeah, I've got probably more technology on my Garmin watch now than what you, an Olympic bronze medalist, had back then. We, so you, we it's very nothing. specific. So you we just ran nothing. it, ran, ran from your gut how you feel, how you felt. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the interesting thing, Lydia trained us all for about thirteen years, mm-hmm. uh, and we were at a. At a <clears throat> A meeting one night where Lydia was giving us a, a coaches a coaching speech, you know, and a hundred people listening there mm-hmm. in Auckland, and Halberg and I were there. Now we'd been trained for thirty years; it was both the year that we were retiring. But he used people like Barry to speak for five minutes and Halberg to speak for five minutes as part of the entertainment of the night and bringing his champions along. And um, after after the meeting, Murray went up to Halberg, up to. Lydia and said, what's this new language you're talking about? 
You're talking about aerobic and anaerobic training. I've never heard of it, Murray said. And Lydia looked a bit mystified and uh, a bit, a little bit sort of concerned. And Murray said, do you mean fast and slow running? <laughs> and Lydia said, yes. <laughs> so, so there was no racing in training. We did eight, eight weeks of just foundation strengthening yeah. work. But with that strengthening work, your confidence goes up about 500%. Yeah, right. It builds confidence. You go right. out there and run, run the stuff and do the stuff the Lydia way. Mm. Uh, we, if we'd raced it or you know, or smashed ourselves in training, you wouldn't have it mm. at the end of the eight weeks. You'd, you, mm. you might be in worse condition. Yeah. But Lydia had he experimented five years on himself. Five years on himself <laughs> to find out what worked. He ran 100 miles a week. He ran 200 miles a week. He ran 300 miles a week in training himself and did this all. This is a wife and... Hey, wait, wait, so sorry, I'm just going to back up there. Did you say he did a 300-mile week? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 500 Ks, 500 Ks in a week. Yeah. How yeah. do you fit that in? Well, <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll never, we will never wow. know. Because he, he's gone... <laughs> We can't ask, but you know, no, he did. That's right. If you read his story, Garth Gilmore you know, left us 13 books of Lydia. Garth mm-hmm. Gilmore, the author, left us all the books. So it's all in the books. Yeah. Actually, other. you can still buy these online too. It's available as um, like Kindle, Kindle yeah. books. So you can um, Run get to these. the top is yeah. the original. Sure. And that's the, perhaps the greatest of all. Mm. You know, and that's where Lydia outlines the theories of success forever. Yeah. And I, I, you know, at the Olympic Games in. Um, <laughs> Los Angeles in 84, 84. I had you know, four days with Frank Shorter and these other, other Olympic medalists of history. Now, Frank Shorter won Olympic marathon gold, Olympic marathon silver, and two Olympics. Mm-hmm. He was a hero for America. I said to Frank Shorter, what training did you do, Frank, to get that success? And he smiled at me and said, just Lydia training, Barry. <laughs> just Lydia training. Mm. Yeah, and I think... But all the world were following Lydiard. <laughs> and they were using his principles, not only in... I mean, Ferguson MacDonald and their canoes, I've heard them speaking. Uh, you know, they'd won about seven Olympic gold medals in their yeah. canoe. They credit most of it to Lydiard. They used his principles. All our cycling world-class cyclists, they used Lydiard. Yeah, they, they became world-class because the coach in New Zealand was using Lydiard principles. Mm. Rusty Robertson, the rowing coach, he took the rowing coach to Olympic goals and eights and Munich or whatever and all the stuff. What training did you do? He said, Lydiard. Amazing. Lydiard left us, left us a foundation yeah. of secrets that coaches are still using all over the world in all sorts. The year before Lydiard died, I was at his place having lunch with him. He said to me, Barry, do you know that today half the world uses our training principles. He didn't say my training principle. He said our training principle. Wow. Uh, yeah, is that a humble man? Oh, that's so humble. Yeah. But he, so he, modest. He would be, you know, to me he ranked like with Einstein in physics. Mm. He's a, he was a genius of running and nobody knows how he knew what he knew. Mm. Also, I feel, I feel like he doesn't get the credit he deserves in that, um, I, I'm guessing like in... Uh, you know, when you were running in the 1950s, no, no one really ran as in jogging. I mean, it was competitive runners, and harriers and whatever, but there were, there's no such thing as like a fun run like there is now. And I feel like um, Lydia so got a lot to do with that, like the, the birth of jogging in New Zealand. Yeah, well, he birthed jogging in the world. Right. He birthed jogging yeah. in the world. Um, he introduced it to New Zealand as a health mm. thing, 
for everybody at every age. Mm. Um, you know, I had a good friend in about the 1950s, about the 1960s, he went, <coughs> he had a heart attack. He went to his doctor, he was age 54, had a heart attack. His doctor told him never to walk upstairs again and never to mow a lawn again. Lydia said, absolutely wrong. In the <laughs> 1960s, he, he had what he called the Heart Foundation running yep. at the YMCA twice a week, and he all the people with heart attacks came, and, and he coached them. And three years later, they all ran the Hawaiian Marathon, the Honolulu wow. Marathon, because he said, no, the heart's a muscle. Yeah. So the medical world were doing the opposite. They were saying, no, you just be careful the rest of your life and you might live umpteen years. Lydia had said, no, you just condition the heart again and restore the heart. And if you, you know, I've talked to numerous people. I mean, one of those Honolulu tours, you know, Lydia and I and Richard Taylor were tour leaders. Yeah, and I talked to, you know, there was about 70 people lined signed up and we went to Honolulu. I mm. talked to lots of them. Yeah. And they said, yeah, when they started exercising, a whole new world opened up. The whole world came back to life again. Yeah. And to be running a marathon after you'd had a heart attack three or four years before. That's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And he, he, yeah. But Lydia and a Rimura doctor put a, put a whole package together to restore because this Rimura doctor, I can't even remember his name now, he decided that... Um, now, people didn't have to sit around and die mm. like the medical world advised at the time. So Lydia founded jogging. Um, was a, a man came out from America and he took it back. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about this. So this is um, Bill Bowerman, who was one Bill of the uh, co-founders of Nike. Nike. Uh, so he came here in 63. You, you, were, you, were, yeah, you, were, you were still around then, weren't I you? Met, you? I met yeah. Bill Bowerman when he came right. to New Zealand. Arthur invited two or three of us as Olympians mm. to go and meet Bill Bowman on a Sunday run with the Auckland Joggers that him and Colin Kay had founded. They'd founded the Auckland Joggers. Mm. And so there was 50, 50 joggers turned out Sunday morning and we all went up and had a run with Bowman. Mm. We thought he was pretty fit. And his joggers, <laughs> uh, you know, age 50, 60 and 70, just left him for dead. Amazing. <laughs> so he got the shock of his life and he said, America, America is... We need this too. Mm. United States. He said, you know, every week in the United States, he said there'll be a crowd of 80,000 people watching a football game. They all desperately need exercise. Mm. He said, down on the field, there's 30 players playing who desperately, <laughs> who desperately need a rest. <laughs> he said, we've got to change things in America. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so Bill Bowman, yeah, the, the co-founder of, um, of Nike, and uh, I, th I think he's famous for making, um, making like, soles of shoes in his waffle machine. Waffle, yeah, he um, used a waffle machine. Yeah, so, wh so what did he come to New Zealand for, just to basically pick Arthur Lydiard's brains? Is yeah. that the, yeah. yeah, to meet Lydiard. Uh, yes, he was somehow impressed with Lydiard, and he wanted to meet Lydiard. And at the airport, when he was going, Lydia had said, Bill, get into running shoes. There's a great future in running shoes. And now, one of the boys I coached um, four years ago, I remember, he, um, he became a marathon runner, distance runner, and he worked for Nike. I said, what, what did Nike earn last year? He said, $12 billion. Oh. <laughs> Wow. You can see why they've got the Tiger Woods of this world. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, they just pay people millions. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's all just advertising. Unbelievable. The Bill Bowman, yeah. I mean, he's dead now, but he would have left him. Um, yeah, but he... he um, and then 
it it went all over Europe, mm. and um, it went all over Europe. Mm. Uh, was the jogging? Yeah. So jogging restores health and mental health and spiritual health and physical health and everything. It helps everybody. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, while we're on Nike, um, like, what do you think of the um, current state of shoes? First of all, like, what were you what were you running in in the nineteen sixties? What were your shoes like? Can you describe them? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want a good laugh? <laughs> yeah, go on. The shoes I ran the Olympic marathon in, in the Roman Olympics, were bowling shoes. We had no running shoes in New Zealand, um, with all of us like Halberg and of my era and age, same age group. We probably did five, six, seven years in what was called sand shoes or tennis shoes. Right. Tennis shoes. So canvas uppers and a, a rubbery sole underneath. Yeah, I remember that I, I had them as a kid. You used to get them from like Power Rubber and places Steve, like that. Yeah, power, yeah power, power made made them. Power, power made them. Power Rubber Factory. And yeah, but so, yeah, so, yeah, so it's the Olympic marathon. <coughs> Lydiard made at his shoe factory. The spikes for Snell, and and he rode the marathon runners. We ran in his marathon shoes. Uh, he made them for us, which was a bowling shoe. Last was he said that was the nearest thing I had for runners, and and I just glued a heel on <laughs> because they were dead flat because bowling shoes on the bowling green weren't allowed to have heels. Mm. So he, he glued a, a rubber heel on the base. So that Olympic year. So. These days, the shoes. Because oh, I've, 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 oh. I've got some, um, I've got some Nike shoes that I save for races, and they are <laughs> they are remarkable. Yeah, yeah. they are incredible. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. If I'm doing a five k oh. time trial or a ten k time trial, they, they they they're definitely worth. Yeah. I don't know, thirty seconds or. Well, they, they um, on a track race they're credited with a second lap, uh, you know, mm. so in 20, 25 seconds that would be in a ten k. Just yeah. just with the shoes. Uh, some say more. Um, now the difference is, yeah, they got carbon fiber mm. in the soles, and it springs. The, you, you put your foot down, and it helps your foot to spring forward. Yeah, there's so much energy. You try, and um, every you know, on my runners now in New Zealand, I know that are using them. Uh, they do personal bests every every time they put them on. <laughs> and, uh, is, do, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you feel like it's um sort of? Uh, oh, yeah, there's there's a phrase that's been used called like um shoe doping. <laughs> do you feel like it's um. Because I feel like it's one of those ones. It's like everyone can have access to it. Yeah. Well, technology. Yeah. Has now overcome training. It's it's greater than training. Right. Um, a top New Zealand coach um, I, I was talking to two years ago said, "Barry, your two seventeen in Rome would be two ten today, wow. just with the technology of yeah. shoes and also nutrition. Nutrition. The, mm. Yeah. You have carbo squeezies and things on the way." That would make seven minutes difference to any marathon runner today. So, um, so someone that's run like Paul Bellinger ran two ten you know, in um, way back in nineteen eighty. Um, yeah, that, that would be two oh three. So you know you're up there in any world class marathon. Yeah. So technology is is the big winner today. Mm. Technology. So. What did um What did you used to eat? Just out of curiosity, like the morning of the uh, the, the say for lunch on the day of the Olympic marathon. You know, what, what did you eat? Um, haven't got a clue now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you have I, on the run? Was I, it like honey? Did you have like honey and water or nothing? No, absolutely nothing. In fact, the nutritionist nearly faint. We're not. I've done hundreds and hundreds of stories and te- you know, um, 
testimonies, whatever, going around schools and yeah. clubs. I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of present medals. There were speeches, speeches and speeches and that. And um, um, we had nothing. <laughs> it, it, everything was just so simple then. Uh. No technology. Um, just about a seafood diet. <laughs> you see food and you eat it. You see food. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Snell and Hell, yeah, touring Europe, you know, you'd see Snell and Hell being like standing outside a, a bakery, you know, at, at 10.30 in the morning having a pie. <laughs> it's pies Amazing. Anywhere in the world. You know, so, yeah, no, it was, um, but yeah, today, yeah, the technology of every shoes and, and, and it's, yeah. And it's GPS watches. World. Yeah. I, I, get the, I get the sense that you're almost a little bit annoyed by it. Like you, you feel like it's a, an unnecessary oh. distraction for the athletes you coach now. Um well, the thing is, they can be dominated by a watch mm. and not by feelings and their heart and their spirit and their mm. mind and their brain. Oh, 100%. That, completely. That, that, and, and if the watch tells me that my, my, yeah, my pulse rate is, is 15 <coughs> above what it's supposed to be for this, they panic or something. Lydia taught us all to, to go by feet, <coughs> all by feelings mm. and how you are. And he taught us that with everything, with no technology. But today, yeah, it takes me um, one to two years to unwind people from their technology and their watches. <laughs> Lydia wouldn't even wear a watch in training or a race. He wouldn't wear a watch. No, he said, that, that, he said you'll start running by the watch. He said, you've got to run by the conditions. You run with the competition. You run with the race. You run with everything that's in you. But not the technology doesn't really count. So well, I would listen to times on the way in races because a lot of them you, you, you did that, one lap, two laps, three laps mm-hmm. in the track races um, or your five-mile, ten-mile time in a marathon. Um, but it didn't make any difference to how I was running. So the thing was your, your challenge was to get the best place on the day that you could get under the conditions prevailing and no technology whatsoever. But I say it takes me often two years to unwind somebody yeah. because – these are a lot of these academic runners too that I coach. Some of them are doctors and accountants and lawyers and goodness knows what as well, and they're the hardest ones to unwind from their technology. Mm. They love their technology, um, but the technology runs their life, <laughs> mm. and they they don't enjoy half the fun of running that we always had. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, we just ran, <laughs> we just run. <laughs> yeah, and you wouldn't have had music either. No, oh, no, no, yeah, never, no never. nobody ran with music in those days. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, good old-fashioned days. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, but finance was, was perhaps a huge problem, so I never earned $1. For four games I went in, I had to get, I had to get loans uh, to support the family, the wife and the children, to pay the mortgage and everything while I was away for six, mm. eight weeks, eight weeks at a time. Um, yeah, it, that, that was it. Was it was different um, time? It would take me six to twelve months usually to pay the bank back mm. uh, for representing New Zealand. But we did we did get paid, you know, when we were away. We got ten shillings a day. <laughs> That's a dollar. <laughs> a, a dollar. Dollar a day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke today. One dollar a day um, out of pocket expenses. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there, there's yeah, another thing I wanted to acknowledge you for. Um, you you are the first man in history to run. Uh, sub three uh, marathons in five decades: nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties. How old was the? How old were you with the last sub three? How did you find that out? <laughs> I, I think I read it online somewhere. It did? Yeah, first yeah. man in history yeah. to do that. No, no, that's right. I got a ring, a ring from the marathon statistician of the world. 
in 2001 uh, to say, I just thought I'd notify you as an Englishman, and he said he was a statistician for the World Marathoning, and he said, I just thought it would be interesting to you to know you are the first man in history to run sub-three-hour marathons in five decades, mm. five, the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Because yeah, yeah. when I was 64, I ran 248 marathon at 64. No way, four-minute K pace. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable! That is mind blowing. <laughs> you've, you've you've read my book. Um, it, it took me years to to get under three. Um, yeah. and that was in my um, yeah mid forties. Sixty four. Yep. <sighs> yeah, that's Lydian training. Mm. Lydian training. I knew how to get fit, how yeah. to keep fit, how to how to peak. You went you went doing hundred mile weeks in your in your sixties though, were you? No, no, no. Oh. When when you're older, you you change it to time. Yeah. And um, so if I did ten hours a week. You know, when I was um, 25, um, and I still did 10 hours a week when I was 65, um, yeah, it would be 30 or 40k a week less, right. yeah. uh, but it's still the time. Yeah, so you, time yeah, on you, you ran it slower, mm. and everything was slower. But, yeah. I mean, you were running in age groups and things like that as you get older, and so all the fun was there, mm. all the competitiveness was there, um, but your time told you that... Um, just because you could run 10K in 28 minutes when you're 30, mm. um, yeah, at 50, you know, I was down to 33 minutes. <laughs> no, mm. at 50. At 53, I think, um, 53, I did, um, well, the New Zealand 5,000 M50 when I was 53 and 1537. Wow. At, wow. at 53. And then the 10K the next day at 3307. Jeez, that's good. Yeah. So yeah, because yeah, I, I just knew how how to do it all. And do you think it was like a muscle memory from just a lifetime of K's yep. to a degree? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. When, when did you stop? When did you, when did you stop running? Why did you stop running? Um, yeah, I was sixty four. I just won my last national title mm-hmm. um, in Invercargill, the national ten thousand, and got a gold there, and a silver in the five thousand. In the Masters, the Masters National Championships, uh, it was about a month after, and I was running with the Auckland um, City Athletics Club at the time as one of the coaches, and we were running down Mount Eden on a, on a gravelly path that was quite steep, and uh, <coughs> yeah, and I slipped and fell, and I wrecked my knee. <laughs> I did. I did a uh, goodness, uh, yeah, and um, that was the end of the running. Mm. The end of the running because. Um, you know, I had a cartilage out when I was 42 of the knee, and then I'd had a trim when I was about 62. Now, at 69, at 69 it all happened. At mm. 69, I had to call it a day because uh, that knee didn't like running. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, Jeez, that's yeah. a shame. It would have been um, would have been interesting to see what you could have achieved in your 70s. Oh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I've, ne- I've never had any ifs or buts yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, just one day I was running, and the next day I wasn't, so be it. I just yeah. took it and um, and just went because <clears throat> I, was, I was sort of like fifty percent coach and fifty percent runner for all those years. Mm-hmm. In nineteen sixty eight, my man made the Olympic Games in ten thousand way back. Um, so the success of Lydian training was always there. Um, I, d- I just put on my coach's hat at sixty nine and just been full time mm-hmm. coaching from then until now. Yeah, and um, it's so wonderful to get an email that says Barry. I don't know how to thank you. Mm. I don't know how to thank you. The running and training and coaching has changed my life. Yeah, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, to get that. That's the nicest thing I can get. 
Actually, yeah. a friend of mine, um, yeah, she 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 got personal best through you as well, and she speaks very highly of you, Leslie Turner Hall. She loves you. <laughs> yeah, you you got you got her down to a really sharp time. It's um yeah, such an impact that you've had on um on people's lives. Yeah, yeah, that's no, cool. It's, it's like Lydiard was for us too. Mm. Yeah, nobody ever used Lydiard and uh, forgot Lydiard. Yeah, he cha- it changes people's lives to have someone. Um, I think back of it in my school days as a good school teacher. Yeah. And I think in my all my years at school, I might have had three good school teachers that patted me on the back and encouraged me because, mm-hmm. you know, sec- I was a second World War kid mm-hmm. and um, at school re- all these old, grumpy, retired teachers came out of retirement to teach you um, with, with one principle in mind of discipline. Mm-hmm. They had a ruler <laughs> behind their back. Um, you got... You got Knuckles behind your ear, um, you got a strap. You know, if you know, we said one word in the classroom, and and um, a girl would get patted on the head and said, "Oh, Rosemary, you could do better than that. Mm. Oh, that's not good, Rosemary. What you did, or whatever." And the boy would be out the front getting six of the best <laughs> for the same, <laughs> you know. And um, this well, was, rough, this man. was te- teaching in those yeah. days was violent and. Um, Disciplined and it was awful, and um, lots of, lots of kids I think got <laughs> ruined <Yeah>. for life. <laughs> um, but the coach is the same; yeah. we can make or break the person. You just input mm. into them. You are important. You are special. You and your ability, no limits. Yeah, whatever you can dream, you can do. And that if you're following the principles or the rules that I'll give you. And that there's no limits. Dream mm. big, <laughs> think big. You're going to be doing this until the day you die. Probably, yes. yeah. Well, yeah. Lydia was. Yeah, he was. He was doing a lecture tour, aged 87 in America, um, 87, and um, he did a lecture one night. Went back to the hotel, sat down, and he turned on the TV, sat down. Three minutes later, was gone. Yeah, mm. that was just like that. Wow. See, on the job. Yeah. Um, but the man, one of the men that was on that last tour of Lydiard with him, doing a lecture tour around America as this famous coach, because they the Americans love him more than New Zealanders do. Mm. They they worship Lydiard in America, and um, he took Lydiard from one city to another city, and uh, he said Lydiard was just amazing. A thousand people attended every lecture he gave, and every city he went to. Wow, a thousand people. <coughs> And Lydia, funny thing, the year before Lydia died, the great coach, the greatest, you know, middle and distance, yeah, middle and distance coach of the century in the world, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a year before he died, he said, I think I will probably pass on next year. I'd love to die in America. I don't know how to, is that, he is sort of predicted his own death. Is that prophetic? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why did he think that? I, don't, I have no idea. Mm. No idea. But, yeah, Garth Gilmore told me that. Right. Who was his author. And, yeah. You know, they yeah. were very close. Yeah. That was at Arthur. Yeah. Garth Gilmore told me that, I think, at the funeral. Mm. Um, Arthur predicted, really, that, uh, yeah, he would go. Mm. So so it was 87, mm. on the job, still going. And, um, <laughs> yeah, perhaps I might be the same. Because <laughs> um, I will go, I'll go for training anywhere for yeah. one runner. One yeah. runner, yeah. You know, I was at the club last night, and um, I had three run, four runners running, mm. <laughs> and they went. They ran the eight hundred meters at the club, 
and they got one, two, three, and four. Mm. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you feel about your immortality? I mean, you've, you, you've it's been such an incredible life, and you've still got so much to so much to live for. How do you feel about that? Um, now I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Christians never die. All right. We just pass through a mm-hmm. doorway, and and heaven. Is the promise. Thomas yeah. is the promise. So I've got no fear in dying. Mm. I've got no fear of COVID. I've got no fear whatsoever. No, I'm, yeah, no, I'm contented and happy. Mm. If it's now or 10 years' time or whatever. Oh, please not so, now. I don't know how to do CPR. <laughs> <laughs> no, someone, someone said to, to me yesterday, um, Barry, you'll live to about 107. They told me. This is on the yeah. phone call I was doing. 107. <clears throat> I said, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> and, um, no, I said, no, it won't be 100 I'm going to live forever. They said, how come? I said, well, I've always been told that only the good die young. I should be living. I'll live forever. Because <laughs> I've always been a rascal. I've yeah. always been a joker. Yeah. And I've always laughed at life and, uh, and just taken the ups and downs that they come. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, that's the, life is a gift. Yeah. Life is a gift. Yeah. And um, what we do with it is up to us. Mm. We can waste it or use it. And um, I just want to be to think that I have used my life to the best possible way. I feel like we should leave it here. (laughs) It's been um, hey, it's been so good to meet you. Um, What a life, what a a story, and um, I feel like um, geez, you're still so mentally sharp and physically. I feel like I feel like you're going to be around for a while yet. God willing. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Barry McGee, you're a great New Zealander. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.